because I was in a moment of my life that theoretically everything was at a peak. I have met a lot of interesting person. There is a lot of person in my life that fulfill my needs of emotion, interest, and economically, the business was going very, very, very well, even better than what I thought it could be. I was living in a very marvelous island, always uh, under the sun, on the beach, and, and so it was my dream all my life, you know? And yet, something inside of me was not feeling okay. Welcome to the WILD podcast. Inspire people, support others' growth and create a meaningful life. That is the mission of this podcast and I welcome you to the community. Since you are listening to this right now, I suspect you are a curious soul who loves expanding your own horizon, learning about other people's authentic life choices and getting inspiration to put into action what you are passionate about. In this episode, meet Francesco Leone, an Italian with a lot of passion and creativity, both in his personal as well as business life. Francesco and I have been dear friends for a couple of years now. We met when I intended to fly to Bali, but decided I did not want to pay as much for a plane ticket, for I had been a poor student back then. So instead of flying to Bali, I checked what flight connection would bring me furthest away from the cold German winter while still staying in budget. And that's when I discovered the Canary Islands as a destination, yet I did not know which one of the seven islands to pick. So I took a map, covered my eyes with one hand and drew circles with the index finger of the other hand. And finally, I blindly pointed my finger at Tenerife. So it was decided. After that, it wasn't hard to bump into Francesco since he ran the most popular hostel on the island close to the southern airport, Los Amigos. Over the years, I got to witness the vast landscape of Francesco's personality, his free spirit, his thoughtfulness and self-reflection, his innate curiosity in people and in social diversity, his creative entrepreneurial approaches, and his drive to grow both personally and in terms of business, despite all the hardships and setbacks he experienced over the years. Have fun listening in on our conversation. By the way, if you listen closely enough, You'll hear that Francesco truly is a proper Italian, as he couldn't resist speaking with his hands, hitting them onto the table to highlight his words emphatically. Italians, you just gotta love them. So, hello Francesco. Thank you so much for taking the time for this conversation. As we are recording this right now, it's early November 2020, and you're currently located in your hometown, which is Trieste in Italy. Yep. And this is not where one would expect you to be normally at this time of the year, because you've been running um, a hostel on the island of Tenerife in the Atlantic Ocean, for those people yep. listening in from further away, not knowing what the Canary Islands are. <laughs> yeah, this year obviously is not normal so why expect anything normal from us this year COVID has challenged and changed the lives of so many of us and i think so has your life been impacted by the pandemic as it emerged on your doorstep so what i would like to start with is where were you and what was it like for you to experience the emergence of COVID? well i was in tenerife in canary islands at that time managing my hostel as usual 
And uh, when the pandemic hit, I had to <laughs> basically shut down everything and close the door to uh, actual and future guests. And so it was like a, an economic shock more than any other things, you know. And so like, well, for every one of us, I think it was very hard economically mm. uh, and impact our job, our businesses and and, and personal life too, of course. So yeah, it was a real shock, <laughs> definitely. Mm. Because uh, Tenerife and the Canary Islands belong to Spain and Spain was impacted quite roughly um, very early. What was the situation like on Tenerife? It was quite strict, the lockdown, correct? Yeah, well, it happens, I think, like everywhere, progressively. And unfortunately, there was nationwide measures And uh, because like the region, all Canary Islands, they were very low impacted by the virus, to be quite honest with you. And uh, there were not so many cases. And yet we had to comply to national law, so to national uh, lockdown restriction, even if, especially when the state of alert was declared, mostly all of the people just flew away from the islands and tourists and people that are not um well there are resident in the island but are foreigners so there is a huge portion of the population that are non-canarian mm. but are still resident in canary island like people from uk from germany from italy and so they decide to okay i just go back home mm. and so basically Uh, the state of alert of lockdown was declared and the islands were empty. <laughs> it was even less meaningful, you know, yeah. the lockdown because there were no one anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> wow. in the street you can walk and before 200 meters you, you don't have anyone in front of you. So, yeah. That must have felt strange, especially since that was February, March, I think March, and March is still high season, right? Definitely, in between uh, half of April, the end of April, less or more, is the end of the high season, mm. and which usually starts in the beginning of November. Yeah, so now. <laughs> Supposed to be now. <laughs> okay, so you even missed out on um, high season business, which is, I think, a, an important part of um, your economic forecast for the year. Ooh, definitely. I mean, um, and usually March and April, is almost uh, pure revenue because in the beginning of the high season you start to cover the increased cost of the high season mm. because in the high season we have also other extra employment for example you have some extra cost so with the income of the first months you will cover with this extra cost so whatever come from february on Mm -hmm. is almost pure revenue, pure gaining, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, it was a huge part missing. Yeah. <laughs> so we had, like, in one week, we passed from 80 or more people, or like 85 or so on guests, in the hostel to zero. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we were empty for three months. And, yeah, that was a huge impact, of course. Mm -hmm. 
but even more affected me personally, but it's another story. So that was obviously the economic impact, but as you just mentioned, that wasn't the, the sole impact. It was also personally, because I think Los Amigos means a lot to you. Can you tell us about what it meant for you personally or emotionally to experience that situation? Well, we can say normally, normally, uh, when I was fully in the hostel life and I was fully involved and committed inside, it was, yeah, not uh, a business for me, was a lifestyle. And that's the reason why I decided to open a hostel uh, since the time that I did the first one in India. It was more for having a, a toy basically uh, something joyful for my life you know like creating a melting pot for different travelers people from different cultures and uh, different languages and different backgrounds to exchange their stories experiences and uh, be inspired myself so it was almost a little bit selfish <laughs> and also to have the other uh, inspired by each other so i i had this like utopia dream in my mind to create this like uh, Eden for travelers and open-minded people. And so I was constantly drinking this uh, exchange for the pleasure of my soul. And uh, yeah, have, have this broken, uh, it was hard in this sense. Uh, even if lately I was a little bit less involved inside the hostel in the last year, and still I was yeah, emotionally involved. So, I, I'm not sure. You told me once how you came to be on the island and how it all started. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, when you arrived on the island, you were pretty low on cash. You had basically almost no money. You even told me that you slept on the beach and yep. um, you had nothing. There was nothing. You didn't know anything about Spain or how to do business in Spain, how this all works and everything. So you just um, set it up, the hostel step-by-step step from nothing. And it came to be an extremely popular hostel. And I can, I can say that because I've been there and the atmosphere was just, as you described, it was an Eden for people coming together. And the hostel is called Los Amigos. It's not just a random place where strangers go and then they, you know, they head off to their adventures and visit sites. No, it's, it's really a place for friends to come together, to make music, to hang out. And there's a lot of community and it's an extremely beautiful atmosphere. So you've created this from scratch in a matter of years and losing that probably was a blow. But before we go further there, could you tell us a bit about how did it all start? How did you set up Los Amigos and how did it evolve over the years? All right. Oh, well, this is quite easy to say. <laughs> what I can tell you exactly, I had <laughs> just before uh, to be able to open the hostel, I reached a point uh, when uh, I was with my prepaid credit card with just 50 euros on it, five zero. Mm -hmm. And I was about, okay, now I had to call my family and I had to humiliate myself asking, hey, can you buy a ticket back for me? <laughs> because I was there, I had no resource, I had no job, and I was pretty desperate. And, so, <laughs> and that was my starting point. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but, uh, I just uh, almost copied the blueprint 
how I managed to open the hostel in India. It was the same experience for me. So it was not really matter uh, the location, but it was more how I relate to a completely new environment and, and struggling with a few resources. So, and I was used to that. Actually, I did that all my life. <laughs> <laughs> so it was nothing new. It was nothing particularly challenging. Actually, it was less challenging because I used to do that in India. So for me, it was everything simpler. And even if I start really from almost nothing, it was easier, definitely easier. And so I would like to give you the step-by-step. Yes, I, I cannot imagine, you know, putting myself in your shoes and trying to imagine what to do with 50 euros left on my credit card and the desire to set up a business. I would have no idea where to go how to start, whom to ask. So could you give me an idea of how you would do that? Yeah, well, first of all, I managed my own hostel in India for two years. And then also I started from really nothing. And it grew up exponentially during the years. And just before to leave India, I had in New Delhi, this hostel was a 50% capacity and also have a travel agency, and also we had two fast food shops. So uh, it was a pretty well-established situation. And then without that, I got so much in the details, some uh, problem happens, and some, we can say, arguing and misunderstanding with my ex-business partner. So, and uh, I had to leave India, and uh, basically I just blow everything that I had in my hands. And uh, basically, I went away from that with zero. All my, all my money that I invested, all my goods that I had there, my personal computer, my car, my motorbike, whatever I bought, and it was mine there, went away. But before that, just before that point, a guy that was living in Tenerife contacted me. He was in the construction business and real estate market and saw, hey, I have a lot of property here and we can do business together. You can take your knowledge, your experience, your know-how, and come here. I will invest the capital. I will provide you all the tools. I have all the information, and uh, I know everything here. I have personal lawyers, accountant, and so I can provide infrastructure to create the same thing that you did there here in Tenerife. And I say, well, fantastic. <laughs> but when I arrived in Tenerife and, and just this problem in the head, so I arrived again with zero resources almost. And when I just arrived, I discovered that this guy was not up to his words. And so basically it didn't work. And uh, I had to imagine how to do it just by myself. And how did you do that? Ah, uh, well, even if, I had an investors for the project. I decided, okay, anyway, when I will go to the island, just to better, uh, like, uh, propose myself into the uh, social nets of the island, you know, uh, I, I will start to work as a bartender. I did that for a long time in my life. I'm convinced that it's one of the best tools to social connect quickly to a new place where you don't know anyone because working, and also earning money, you have the occasion to talk with a lot of people, to exchange a lot. And so, yeah, and I was searching for that. But when I arrived in Tenerife, it was 2010. 
and was still the remaining of the 2008 crisis. Mm. It was a disaster. All the business were shut down or they have reduced personnel. So it was almost impossible to find a job. Mm. And that's why after a couple of months, when I realized that the other guys withdrawing from the project, the only one my choice was to find a job then. And even that seems almost impossible. Mm. And so that's why I remain with, again, I, I just go, oh my God, now I have 50 euro <laughs> with me. Even I don't have any job. And so I decide to do some street performing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I bought some clothes, and some stuff like costume, like Charlie Chaplin. And I would like to do break dance in the street because when <laughs> I was a kid, I was break dancing. <laughs> I say, well, I never did that. <laughs> and I also like to experience something like that. I say, well, let's try. Maybe I will succeed in that. At least I have some pocket money to just buy some foods and to buy myself some time to figure it out. Mm. Uh, but simultaneously, when I decide that, fortunately, they call me from a discotheque and I start to work there as a bartender. And um, after maybe a couple of weeks, uh, the owner of this discotheque also, he has like a pizzeria. And in my life, uh, among other type of jobs that I had was also pizza maker. <laughs> when I was 19 years old, I opened my own pizzeria. So uh, I knew how to do it. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, he was missing one guy for doing that. So for a period of time, I started to work during the night in the discotheque and during the day in the pizzeria. So I had double job. And then I also a third job because I started to uh, repairing computer in the free time. <laughs> <laughs> so I was sleeping like three, four hours a night. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. So you worked a lot to get money as a starting point to yeah. rent a house, basically, right? Because that was the first step to, towards the real hostel, opening the real hostel. Yeah. When I had at least a little bit money saved aside after months of hard working, I had just enough money to rent a place. And I was lucky because, yeah, it was the economical crisis. So the price of the real estate and whatever it is for buying a real estate or just rent a property was very, 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 very low because a lot of property was completely empty. And so I could just afford a place where we were completely out of the touristic track, but the shape of the property was perfect. It was very similar to the place that I had in India. First of all, it was like not a real structures meant to be a hostel was like a family villa with a swimming pool with a garden so was not the traditional type of hostel at that moment i'm talking 10 years ago mm. where most of the hosting in europe backpackers hostel was like in a building two three stairs you know and like in a urban atmosphere in a urban context and that was completely different you know was just a family villa uh, I could say a luxury villa almost in front of the beach. So it was not meant to be. But I liked the idea. My idea was having a hostel inside a home, not like a hostel structure. So your feeling should be, hey, I'm visiting a friend of mine. I'm not going to a hostel. Mm. Uh, like my friend have a 
house somewhere and I go to his house. So it was perfect for me. I had this color, yellow color, very warm, uh, made by stones, uh, block of stones. So it was kind of rural at the same time. So it was very warm uh, itself. The house was very cozy. So I said, oh, perfect to have hostel. But unfortunately, it was in a very bad position. And still, I bet that I could make it work. Uh, but when I started, I started with just four beds. Yeah. And that, that was what I called the fourth. And uh, well, what I can say, just that four months, I start to work in the night in the discotheque. And during the day, I remember some nights I came back at home like at 7 a.m. And uh, I could sleep two hours, woke up at 9 a.m., and make the breakfast and start to make the check-in and check-out cleaning. <laughs> and so it was pretty crazy and hard. But like every week, I could buy one thing more. I, I went every weekend at the second-hand market. <laughs> it's an open free market in Tenerife where you can find very cheap things, whatever. you know. So I bought, okay, two plates. Uh, next week, four cups and two spoons. <laughs> <You know? laughs> One sofa after three weeks. And uh, that, that's it, basically. Every week I was buying just one small piece. And after many years, I ended up with 80 beds. And so here we go. <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting approach. Instead of being overwhelmed, you know, by a big business plan and having the end in mind and seeing all that you have to come up with, all the money that you have to come up with, all the work that you have to put in. So instead of doing that and being overwhelmed and saying, oh, well, actually, I made up my mind. I'm not ever going to achieve this. I'm stepping back from this. You just went step by step. Did you have a big vision already in place or was it really just, okay, have a small vision and maybe then I uh, top it up by a bit more of a vision um, mm. with each spoon I buy from the secondhand market? Or how did you, how did you mentally approach this? Oh, well, um, very, very early in my life, I learned a very hard lesson uh, because I was always dreaming too much and too high. And when I opened my real first business, this pizzeria that I had, I was 19 years old. I was very inexperienced and uh, very immature. And I didn't have all the knowledge necessary, you know, to proper manage a business, you know. So I had the technical skill, but not the administrative tools and knowledge, you know. And so, in fact, it was a disaster. I had mm -hmm. to work five years just to repay all the debt that I had, you know. Mm. And, and when, <laughs> when finally I succeed to repay all the debts, I was zero points, so I just sold it out and uh, would like to forget about it. But because at that time, I tried to make some business that I really didn't love. For me, it was just a, a flat calculation. You know, mm. I thought how I could make something, some business, that could buy my independence and I could have a lot of free time so I can have like an income in which I can count and, and I can manage my free time. I can take more care of my passions, my hobbies, sports, music and whatever. So, but it didn't work out like that. <laughs> and also I learned that I set too high the expectation 
and I didn't have like a B plan. I could not conceive even the idea of failing, you know. I was so uh, too much oversure of myself <laughs> that, that the things will work and I will do the best, you know. And it didn't work like that. So it was, I, I, I was eating a large piece of humble pie. And, uh, and from that I learned, okay, always dream high and fly low. Mm -hmm. So set in your mind to, to have very high expectation to make some big things, but then be prepared to do very low number and to struggle and be prepared to work hard and not having uh, any result or very low result. And so always be sure that at least you could reach the breaking point when you at least cover the expenses. Mm -hmm. And if you reach there, okay, from there you could construct more, you know? Mm -hmm. So actually, <laughs> when I started, I was hoping even to open like a, a more than one hostel. That was my dream. Because mm -hmm. in any of the islands, uh, in Canary Islands, there were no backpacking hostel. And so I thought, okay, I could open the first, and if things going well, I will open a second or a third or whatever. So I had high ambition, mm -hmm. but low expectation, you know? So yeah. I tried to match <laughs> these two points of view. Yeah, that's an interesting contrast, and it creates tension that's quite strong. To dream of something and to really, really, really want to achieve something, but then again to allow oneself to fail. And failure, I think, is the topic that is most crucial in you know all the conversations that entrepreneurs have among each other or you know it's a topic that is written about in books a lot so i want to i want to dig a bit deeper here because it's easy to rationally say yeah be prepared to fail you know and if you spend basically every minute every breath working for five years then you hit the break-even point and then you just sell the business well I mean, why not? It's okay. It's probably not as easy as, you know, as it sounds. So can you share with us, how did you learn to deal with failure? I mean, actually experiencing failure. I, I know that there's been, um, there have been a couple of instances in your life when you fell quite low and you lost everything. Like, as you said, in India, for example, or in Italy, um, after your first business experience. So how did you learn to deal with failure and how did your dealing with failure evolve over time in your life? Well, first of all, I, I, I don't describe or depict myself as an entrepreneur at all. And I'm not, I, I, I can't really imagine myself in the stereotype of a businessman. I, I don't feel like at all like that, but I definitely feel an explorer. I think there are certain type of person, certain type of personality, whatever, if you are an athlete or again, yeah, maybe a businessman or like a proper explorer, like mountaineering, you know, there is this part of you that want to be as close as you can go to failure. Otherwise you can grow. I mean, whatever, if you are like, uh, I don't know, a boxer, you know, you would like to work out so hard you don't have any more energy 
in your arms, you know, you can not hit the punching bags, you know, anymore, or, or, or you will always to challenge the strongest opponent or go mountaineering to the highest possible. And so your aim is actually not stay safe in, like, not staying in a safe spot, in the comfort zone, but always push yourself so much to the limit that inevitable, if sometime you don't fall, it means you didn't push yourself really to the limit. You will push yourself 10 times to the limit, maybe three or four times you fail, and six or seven times you manage to, to achieve it, you know? And so the aim is actually to put yourself in the danger zone, to put yourself when you can challenge yourself. And I, I couldn't live without it, you know? Uh, actually, for me, it's more brave who will be able to live like a more stable or safe life based on routine or think that he is sure about it? I, I really can stay there. It's not a choice for me. It's mm -hmm. not something that I decide. It's my nature. I have this propulsion to always do something different, to have new interests, to, to do something, to create and construct something. So uh, I don't really know, to be honest, if someone asks me, Mm. I don't know how I, it's not that I deal with failure, I seek failure, maybe, mm -hmm. in, a, in a certain sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, I see. Is there also a part in you that seeks security and has, you know, is there tension between that explorer, Francesco, who seeks the challenge and seeks failure even, and another part that wants rituals and safety and security? Well. Again, I could use is this paradox, this paradigm of the mountain climber, imagine. Okay, you go to, I don't know, to Kilimanjaro or Everest. Of course, you would like to reach the highest peak and, and to do a very hard performance. You, you push yourself to the limit, but you don't go without preparation. So you maybe study very well your tools, you buy the proper things, the right equipment, you have a lot of months of planning and preparation. And so that's how you combine the two things, you know? Mm -hmm. And plus, especially in type of business like hostel, which is, again, for me, more like a business, you know, but was more like a passion, something that I really want for enjoying my life, most of anything. It was more to combine my emotional part with my rational part. Mm -hmm. I always used to say uh, I'm half Mediterranean because my father is from Naples, my mother, uh, she's from Croatia, and my grandmother, German. And so I can definitely find, <laughs> find inside my soul the, the roof of Mediterranean, be ongoing and be social and emotional and passionate, but also... Uh, I like to ponderate and calculate and plan properly and organize very well uh, the plan for what I'm going to do. Mm. So I try to mix these two parts. Yeah. And a lot of time they are fighting uh, themselves inside of me. Yeah, pretty messy. <laughs> I can imagine. And um, I was asking that because recently we had a conversation when you told me that, especially in those last couple of years, you learned to 
embrace uncertainty more because you know you have your plan set out and it all looks fine and then something happens in in your life sometimes it's collectively like this year and the pandemic happened to all of us uh, and affected us in whatever way but in a way and sometimes it's individual but we have a plan and we try to control what happens to us but we can't something just happens and shakes us and changes even our outlook on life my question is how has your your way of dealing with this uncertainty or this notion that you cannot control everything evolved over the years oh well i i definitely seek all my life control over my life over myself my thoughts my emotions even because i thought that was the way to improve but actually I reversed this thinking because now for me the way to improve myself my life is actually to embrace changes you know to embrace uncertainty and I can again use another example like a surfer <laughs> um, you can't control the wave of life you cannot even being completely transported by the wave in an uncontrolled manner because the wave will crash you the better thing that you can do is to surf the wave according to where the sea is going. You, you need to be ready to embrace any changes or, and to accept, especially acceptance is one of the key principles of many different philosophy and religion, uh, Buddhism uh, in the first place. Because with acceptance, it means not just for the events of life, of your failure, of your negative aspects of your of yourself you get rid of your uh, of the sense of guilty and a lot of poison for your minds you know and and definitely the illusion of controlling life is one poison it's a projection of our ego that mm. we can control the life we can be someone that we depict in our mind we creating an image of ourselves and we like to stick to it and in fact, we should embrace that we are nothing and everything. And as well, everything can happen in life. And we can just try to uh, deal as best as we can, putting all our love, passion, and the right amount of hard work, right amount, not even too hard, because we cannot whip our soul and our love. Uh, we're just working hard. And so, yeah, just try to embrace whatever... It happens with love, you know, whatever it happens, you know. Mm. Yeah, I think embracing uncertainty again is something that sounds very clear and very logic as a concept, but it's something that you definitely have to learn, especially since it's not like there's a mountain of something to process and then you, you deal with it now and then it's gone and then it disappears. Probably right now in your life, there's a lot of unclarity. I'm not sure. A lot, definitely. Because the, the future um, for yourself, for the hostel, for your location of, of life is not clear yet as um, this pandemic is still not over. How do you move forward from here? Where do you think that the wave of your life is taking you right now? And are you, do you have the feeling that you're on top of that wave and just following? Or are you still trying to lead in a certain direction? No, no, at all. I have several paths in front of me and eventually even unknown path 
that I can't see in this point of my life, that I don't know what will be behind the corner, but I have this feeling that anything that will happen, I will be happy. I will be comfortable with it. I will embrace, even I will embrace pain and failure and low point, sad point in my life, because, okay, it's better also if I make like a real physical example. Um, hiking. I know also that you love hiking. I, mm-hmm. I hiking lover and I spent a lot of time outdoor camping, hiking. And I was in a point that always seeking to have the best gear, the extreme ultralight gear, so you can pack light, work more. I was listening, by the way, one of your uh, podcasts, the guy that had this very long through hike, much respect for person that did through hiking. And, uh, but a lot of through hiking community, a lot of hike lovers that are seeking ultralight and so, I think they got trapped in this problem, controlling. Uh, for example, you think, okay, I have four kilo backpack. Yeah, just a stupid example. I need to go for two kilo so I can work better. I can do mm. more, you know. But then you will be always uh, depending on your tools. You will be always depending on the idea that you could have something better. And this became a mania. Then you try to reduce more and more your backpack by titanium pot and ultralight sleeping bags and Dyneema tents and stuff like that. Well, you can do that to improve your performance or you can do improve yourself and your mind. So if you accept the fact that anyway, you will have moments on the tracks that you will feel lost and you will think, oh my God, who the hell told me to do that? <laughs> Why am <laughs> I You know, I would like to go back, you know? So if you better work on yourself than on your tools, you will definitely achieve more, you know? You will be mm. more prepared. Actually, oh, oh, my, my backpack now is not four kilo, it's six kilo. You know what? Fantastic. I will work out my legs. I will become stronger. <laughs> this mentality will take you further than always reduce your backpack or try to control what you cannot. We can control ourselves, you know, how we deal with things. And so from now on, whatever the future uh, will have for me, I know that I will embrace it and I will be positive and I will be super happy. And again, I'm at, in a pivoting point of my life. I don't know if from now on I will continue to live in Canary Island or back to Italy or any other place in the world. I don't know. Regardless, I'm, I'm, I'm in a point that maybe I will sell my business or maybe not. And even if I sell the business, uh, maybe I would not continue to this path. And I have a lot of projects and ideas in my mind, which is at all uh, related to any commercial or business result. It's more for my passion, for my pleasure, uh, like do some eco-village with permaculture and stuff. So where you can even basically lose money, you know, <laughs> or, or achieving something, so well, I, you're right. I don't know what I will do. And uh, I have almost any clue. 
<laughs> I, have, I have some clues. I have some clues, I can say. But I'm pretty sure they will be comfortable in any possible path that my life will be. Yeah. <laughs> it's really beautiful to listen to your words and um, to see that you are really, despite all the hardship at the moment, you're really in a good place mentally and emotionally and that you see all those options out there. And I am very sure knowing you and knowing your history that you will be able to turn any event into success, whatever that is. Success is, you know, is a very broad term. It's not about economic success or how other people see us. It's about, as you said, being happy and being authentic, I think, following your passions and having a life full of meaning and full of value. And I'm very sure that you'll be able to take this opportunity, this pivoting point in your life, as you just mentioned, and um, find the right wave in the right direction. And I'd like to end this uh, conversation by asking, what are the three things that you learned to value most in life? Well, there is, I will say, three things which under their umbrella, there is many things. So I will say love, compassion, forgiveness. And under this, there is everything, 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 really everything. Because under love, there is uh, your family, your partner, friendship, love for yourself, first of all, love for life. This is the base for everything. And after that, compassion and is to ourselves too, you know, to again accept things in the life. Accept failure, accept that you are not invincible, accept that you have a lot of maybe aspects that you need to work on it, a lot of aspects you don't maybe necessarily like it, and the same in the others, you know. And then forgiveness. And this especially because for me that was a very, very hard point. Uh, I passed through some moment of severe depression years ago. Uh, and uh, this, I think, is the last piece of the puzzle that I think will connect all the dots. Mm -hmm. Because I was in a moment of my life that theoretically, everything was at a peak. I have met a lot of interesting person. There is a lot of person in my life that fulfill my needs of emotion, interest, and um, economically, uh, the business was going very, very, very well, even better than what I thought it could be. I was living in a very marvelous island, always uh, under the sun, on the beach. And, and so it was my dream all my life, you know. And I had a lot of time for me to do sports and excursions or whatever and meet an interesting person. And yet something inside of me was not feeling okay. And so I realized, yeah, because I'm dependent of external things, you know, or other people. So if I focus, I reverse the focus and I try being introvert, you know, to reverse the attention to myself, let's find inside of me what I can accomplish, what I can love. And especially the part of me that I don't like to just embrace it and maybe improving, but try to love all. Mm. From that, everything will change. 
That was a very beautiful answer. So really, again, thank you very much for this conversation and for going so deep and making yourself vulnerable and reflecting. It was a pleasure to talk to you. It is a pleasure to have you as a friend in my life. Um, I wish for you to, to follow your path or to let your path follow you, whatever suits you best and uh, make the best out of this moment. Well, I uh, need to uh, especially be thankful to you to be on your podcast, which I love it. I feel very inspirational what you are doing. People that you are having, well, especially one of your last podcasts, I think it was two podcasts ago, uh, three now, with Ashley. Bye, Ashley. <laughs> so I'm very honored to be part of it. And uh, I will continue to follow, like you guys from home, continue to subscribe and follow this podcast. You won't regret, it's marvelous. Despite my own interview, okay? There's something better coming. Don't worry. <laughs> that has been our little dive into Francesco's world. I'm sure you can relate to his experience in that you too have been faced with turns of fortune in your life before. How did you deal with them? How do you cope with uncertainty, with loss of control? Have you been able to find beauty in what is, no matter what? Share your experience with us, either on the Wild Podcast's Instagram account or visit us on our website www.wild.one. Share this with a friend if you think they could benefit from the stories we share in this community. And make sure you follow this podcast so you won't miss an episode in the future. Have a fantastic day wherever you are. I'm looking forward to our next conversation. And until then, live wildly. I just remember one guy from Netherlands told me, that's the reason why you in Italy have a larger form boot. Because when you talk, you, you just extend a lot of hands. Hey, mama, are you going? <laughs> and he was maybe right. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>